This morning, I'm going to um, ask you to turn to Psalm 33. Psalm 33. Taking a slight break uh, this morning. There won't be tombstones to lay before your path uh, this morning. A couple of weeks there will be, so it hasn't gone away. But uh, there's something else I'd like to share with you this morning. The fact is this, that uh, this next weekend I will have the uh, the joy to be at my daughter's graduation from Cornerstone Bible Institute. Abby graduates this next weekend and she's the top student in the class so she gets to also have a part in this actual ceremony where she gets to speak. And Well, her name, Abigail, means her father's joy. Can you tell? If it. It fits. But an amazing thing that's even part of that is that I will also have the opportunity to address the graduates next week. I get to speak and share with them, with the student bodies that will be there, the parents that will come, the uh, the staff as well as the, at the school. The students at the school I've spent uh, quite a number of hours with uh, teaching a portion of the required classes that they need to go through. And some of my classes are electives, so I, I especially treat students nice who take my classes uh, out of their own free will. But uh, And that's a Greek class, by the way. Is of their, Someday I'll change that and make it a required class, but uh, right now it's just their free will. But I'd like to share with you what I intend to share with them. Because... Not just as as these folks are are in the process of going into ministries and such. Uh, when we talk about ministry, that's not just for a college graduate. It's for all of us. And I think there's much we could gain from this. So I want to share it with you today. As I share next week with these graduates... Uh, they're given at that uh, cornerstone, they're given every opportunity to know the Lord better and to serve Him better. If I can give you a list of all the classes that they take in the three years that they're there, it might amaze you the amount of uh, information they're given, the knowledge of the Word and the application of the Word and, and the various uh, aspects of evangelism or pastoral ministries or Christian education or missions. Uh, you saw last week or so when Esther was here, she's a good example of the kind of missionaries that the school is training up. And and uh, so it's exciting to be a part of that. And what, what I pretty much have noticed here is this, that a graduation ceremony with them is not launching them into ministry. They're already in ministry. As they're at that school, they're already serving the Lord and, and working uh, in His work. And so our graduation is, is more along the lines of a recognition that the Lord's hand is already on them. Some of you have seen Isaac and you've seen Phil as they've kind of ministered here during the summer. So you've already noticed that they've been prepared well for ministry. And so I'm excited to be a part of that and uh, to share with them. But if you keep your place in Psalm 33 for a second, let's start in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse number 19. 
A particular verse or verses that are very meaningful to me, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read this passage and have a word of prayer with you as we dive into the text and understand it better. But verse number 19 through verse number 21 says these words, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and that every one that nameth the name of the Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor. That is, they're very useful and special occasions. And some to dishonor. And that's not meant to be a, a, a word that you would shy away from, but the word dishonor here is it's common use. The difference between fine china and plastic cup and bowls. All of them have value in their proper setting, but none of them have value if they're dirty. If a man, therefore, purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel under honor, sanctified. The King James I'm reading here, as you notice, meet for the master's use. The words in the New American Standard is my favorite phrase. Useful to the master. Useful to the master. It's underlined right here on my text. So I could see that every time I come to this page, that's the first thing that catches my attention. Useful to the master. Is that what you want to be? Useful to the master. And he finishes that. Prepared for every good work. Heavenly Father, you know, we need you so much. As we spend our time here this morning in your word, we come as your children and we sit at your feet, as we've heard so beautifully in song this morning. We ask that you might teach us. We know that you're at work in our hearts. You're at work in our lives. You're making us to be like Christ. And we are so thankful for that. So even now, as we focus upon your word, challenge us with it, Lord. Do your great work in us that uh, when we leave this place today, we're different. Because we have just sat at your feet and we learned more of what you'd have for us to know. So challenge us, we pray thoroughly. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage I read to you just a few moments ago. If you want to call it the secret of success in ministry, there's always these ideas of secrets. How, what's the secret to this? What's the secret to that? Uh, it's really not a secret, by the way. It's just the fact that it is not degrees it is not certificates. It is not uh, um, ceremonies. It's not even credentials that the Lord seeks. The Lord seeks a clean heart. Those are the ones that He chooses to use for His service. A clean heart. And the reality is these graduates that are be seen and the students, they are ministering in an unclean world. Just like us, Right? They're serving the Lord in an unclean world. I really wish that we could present to them a better world, right? We've known that over the years, that uh, uh, as much as we've desired and prayed that somehow we might straighten up, you know, this place before they came in and started to serve, 
we look at our day and age as an evil generation, don't we? We see that all the time. And the Lord knows that, you know. He knows that. As He prepares these folks to go into ministry, He knows where He's sending them. Just like He told His disciples, they're going into a world and the world will hate you. Boy, that's an encouraging way to start. But they will hate you. And He wanted to know them to know that that's where they're stepping. And, and even today, the Lord sees the wickedness of men on this earth. He knows that they only think and do evil all day long. And it's no doubt that this dark world needs the light. And Scripture says that we are the light. We're a light on a hill. Jesus, remember, told His disciples, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, under a bushel. But He puts it on a lampstand to give light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, Jesus wants useful vessels. He wants useful vessels. And to illustrate that for you today, it's Psalm 33. So I have you take your page opened up again to Psalm 33 as we walk through this. When I was looking this up and working my way into understanding Psalm 33, I noticed that the the Greek Septuagint, the Old Testament translation in Greek, which we don't carry that, but uh, um, they made an interesting comment in their translation that the author of this psalm was David. Now, the Hebrew does not say that. The Hebrew text does not say this is a psalm of David. There are many psalms that are very clearly marked as David's. Uh, and quite possibly the Septuagint is right. It certainly does have his, his style of writing and the words that he likes to choose. But this is what I'd like to do this morning. Just for the sake of our, our study here today, let's keep the author anonymous. Alright, let's keep it anonymous, because the idea I have in this is, in this sense, this psalm is waiting for a signature. It's waiting for a signature. Someone who would claim it as their own. Somebody who would say, this is the expression of my heart. And I'm going to challenge you on that when we get to the end. Alright? So hold that thought as we look at what we have in front of us here. Just a, a, a overview as we start in the first three verses. He says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto Him with the psaltery, an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto Him a new song and play skillfully with a loud noise. Here's a call to rejoice. You can clearly see it, can't you? A call to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And then he gives us a reason. Starting in verse number 4. Actually going all the way down to verse number 12. But in chapter 33 verse 4. He starts to talk about the character of our Lord. This is one side of the Psalms that I love the best. Is when it describes our Lord. It describes His his power. It describes His uh, sovereignty. It explains expresses even His goodness. And I like that mix, don't you? Power and goodness. 
sovereignty and mercy. And you see all of these reflected here. Matter of fact, there's eight things referenced in verse 4 through 7. The word of the Lord is right, he says. And it is right, isn't it? How often? All the time it is right. It is always, always, always right. The word of the Lord is right. And the second thing in that same verse 4, And all his works are done in truth. And in verse 5, He loveth righteousness. You want to know what the Lord loves? There is it. He loveth righteousness. And also, He loveth judgment. And also, in verse 5, The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. There's a nice mix about righteousness, judgment, and goodness all at the same time. And then verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. See that phrase? Is there any maybe in that at all? You know how our, our world has been trying to stuff evolution down our throat for some time now. This is the answer to every single argument. This is so clearly stated. There's no debate here. The word of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And, number seven, all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. And the eighth thing it mentions in verse seven, he gathereth the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. I try to picture that in my mind. You know, we see the power of water, and we certainly do when it's coming down real hard. We see the power of water and what it can do. And here, here's a picture of our God just taking all the waters of the earth and just making a pile. I like the picture. Who else could do such a thing? Our God does things like that. He can, he can do that. So, you see the character of His work. You see His power, His sovereignty. You see His goodness there. And it comes to verse number 8. And I want you to mark verse 8. A is very important because it tells you his expectations now for the response. What does he expect? Let all the earth fear the Lord. That's what he wants. That's what he asks for. That's what he requests. That's what he expects. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. That's for the United States of America. That is for the countries of Syria or Russia or Korea, any place in Africa, any cold region, any warm region. All the earth is called to fear this Lord. All of them. Hillsdale, Oklahoma... Absolutely. The congregation of Hillsdale Bible Church? Absolutely. That is our proper response. Fear the Lord. Stand in awe of Him. We've just seen His character and we have to respond. And that's what He expects. So mark that verse because in verse number 9 through 12, we see His authority given to us. It says, For He spake and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. There's a power of His Word and His authority. He says it, and it's done. Go practice that this afternoon and see how you measure up. 
one of the, the passages in Job I liked very much. When, when Job was thinking that he could pretty much uh, think or do whatever he wanted, and God asked him to, to try his uh, skills of authority, he says, why don't you go out and command the sun to rise? Try it. Sun, come up. See if it comes. Now, don't plan that for like 7.15 in the morning and then give yourself credit for it. Pick a time like in the middle of the night and see if it will obey you then. God says the word and it's done. Remember, he said, let there be light. There was. That's his authority. Look at these words here. It stands in verse number 10. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, he says, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. And blessed be the nation whose God is the Lord. We've seen that a lot, haven't we? We usually pull up that verse and say, boy, that's I, I wish that's where we were today. But see, this is what he calls of all nations. Any nation that would recognize God as the Lord is a blessed nation. It's a blessed nation. Oh, I do wish it were ours. I think perhaps in, in our history, there was a time when our nation could claim such a verse. There was a time when we knew especially the Lord was with us and blesses us. It's always been the Lord's design to bless the nation that calls Him their Lord. It's how sad that nations have turned away from Him today. Now, with that whole scene before you, if the nations will not acknowledge Him, if the nations will not fear Him, perhaps someone will. Perhaps an individual will. Remember in the days of Noah, the comments of Genesis chapter 6 starts in a very ominous way. I'll just read it to you because I know you know the, the verses. It says in chapter 6 verse 5, And God saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping things and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Here the Lord had spanned over the whole the whole horizon, and he sees man on this earth, and he sees wickedness here, and wickedness there, and wickedness there, and wickedness there, and wickedness there, all the way across, and then his eyes stopped on one man, Noah. And that man found grace in God's view. Look at verse 13, and see the same picture. Because the Lord is looking for those who fear him. His eyes are searching. They're scanning the earth. They're looking for those who fear Him. And it says in verse 13, The Lord looketh from heaven, and He beholdeth all the sons of men. He sees every one of them. And from the place of His habitation, He looketh upon the inhabitants of the earth. He's watching. He's looking. 
He's fashioned their hearts all alike. Every single one can respond to Him in fear and in awe. He's created it so it can be so. He considers all their works. He's very active in this. He's looking at us. He's looking at us. And what does He see? What does He see? How we have devised alternatives to Him. How we have trusted things other than Him. We've followed paths other than His. The words here is quite picturesque in verse 16 and 17, where he says, There is no king saved by the multitude of his hosts. He looks at a king and he spots a king over here, and this king is standing among his army, his mighty army, that they wear his colors, and they're dressed in the armor. Perhaps it's all shiny and bright. As they stand in their troops and in their ranks, as he looks upon them, this king, his heart wells up because he says, I've got a mighty army. There they stand with their weapons. There they stand in their courage. They are men of valor. And they seize his army and he says, I can win, because I have them. And the Lord says, no. No. Mr. King, that army cannot save you. And then he looks at the individual warriors among them, the soldiers individually, and he looks at the mighty man, and he says, you can't be delivered by your own strength. For that mighty man in his armor, as impressive as he looks, as large in his stature perhaps, as, as mighty as he is with his weapon, the skill that he has, the resume perhaps of great accomplishments, the Lord says, it's not your strength that saves you. And yet how many of us do that very thing? We add up all our little credentials and all our accomplishments and we, we compare ourselves to others and we say, hey, I've done pretty good. I look great. I can do it. He says, no, it's not by your strength. And then there's another group among that army. They're, they're on horses. The horsemen must have special pride because they're sick seated upon this, this animal that will snort in the face of battle, that will charge into the armies, that won't show fear whatsoever. In speed and in power, they advance. Who can stop them? The horses. The horsemen. And what does he say? A horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by His great strength. So you see what the Lord is looking upon as He scans across this earth. He sees those who are taking pleasure and strength and even confidence in what they have done. In their accomplishments, in their power, in their own strength, in their own abilities. They, they just say, I can do this on my own. They do not fear the Lord. They do not turn to Him. They do not trust Him. And the Lord's eyes keep looking. 
Because he looks past that king, and he looks past that army, and he looks past those horsemen, and he scans for the one, the one that will fear him. And that's where verse number 18 comes in. This is the second one to mark, because the first one was the in verse 8, this is what the Lord requires that the world, the inhabitants of the world, fear Him. Now the inhabitants aren't going to do it. But perhaps one will stand up in verse 18 and say, Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon them that fear Him. It could be just the one individual there, but the Lord has looked for him and found him, and that's where his eyes stop. That's where he stops, and he looks upon that one. That one who hopes in his mercy. To that one the Lord shows favor, you see. He finds that one useful to his service. He provides for that one. He he protects that one. As the words follow with verse number 19, he says he, he delivers their soul from death. He keeps them alive in the famine. Now I know... Originally and, and contextually, he's talking about the Old Testament economy where the deliverance was more of a physical thing. The death as part of a, a great conflict, and he brings this one through the conflict. The famines were real in those days, and the Lord provides for those even in the midst of famine. He keeps them alive. He shows his favor to those. He delivers them their soul from death, and He keeps them alive in famine. And you know, I believe that same Lord watches over us. He keeps His eye on us. He He keeps us alive, does He not? He, he He's concerned about our physical well-being. I know that. I know that. But that's not the primary thing, do you know? It's not the primary thing. Because for us to live is not wealth. For us to live is not our occupation. For us to live is is not our recognition. It's not on all those other things that the world can offer. Perhaps we could say it better like what Paul did. For me to live is what? Christ. Is that where we are? That's the one that fears the Lord. That's the one that his eyes rest upon and say, this is the one that I will look upon. This is the one that I will set my my eyes upon. If you want a definition of fear here, it speaks of a complete trust in the Lord. He doesn't need props. He's not looking for armies. He's not looking for power. He's not looking for anything that this world has to offer. He's just turned it all over and said, I rest only on the mercy of my God. He says, yes, we hope in His mercy. The eyes of the Lord, in verse 18, on those who fear Him, on those whose hope for His loving kindness. For His mercy. Where would we be without that, folks? The mercy of our Lord. That's a precious thing, isn't it? So here it comes. Time for a signature. Is this the psalm that reflects your heart? Because notice the change of the terms 
suddenly in verse number 20, 21, and 22, all of a sudden it gets very personal in the pronouns. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. You might even turn that to my, if you want to get very personal. He is our help and our shield. He is my help. He is my shield. For our heart shall rejoice in Him. My heart shall rejoice in Him. Because we have trusted in His holy name. I have trusted in His holy name. Let Thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us. Upon me. According as we hope in Thee. Folks, don't wait for the world to claim this psalm. Let's claim it ourselves. Let's put our signature there at the very end. Say, this is the expression of my heart. I will trust the Lord. We want to be those that the Lord looks upon, don't we? We want His favor, don't we? We trust His mercy. We want to be counted as those that the Lord looks upon. That's a challenge I'm going to set before some students this week. Because they're going out into a world. They're going out for service. And who are they going to serve? The same Lord. What does He call them to do? Fear Him. And I think that's where we ought to be too. Are you? Is that where you are? Good time for you to talk to the Lord about it, huh? Time for all of us to talk to the Lord about it. Let's do that. Gracious Lord, as we come before you and we recognize how awesome you are, you are a glorious God. Such a mighty God. Such an authoritative God. And yet one who is so tender toward us. So merciful, so kind, so loving. We stand in awe of you, but also, Lord, we, we rest in you. For we trust you. And we sit here in your mercy. And we are refreshed by it. We thank you for the peace that you have given to us as we trust you. We thank you, Lord, that this call is set before us here, even yet today. Perhaps in our, our life, the history, we, we have had many days when we said, Lord, we trust you, we trust you, we trust you. And today, we say it again. For I think uh, recommitment is worthwhile. Even a signature at the end of such a psalm it may have been written anonymously, Lord, but it was written by our hearts too. I trust it's true. That this is what we will do. We will fear the Lord. If there's somebody here today who's been struggling deeply, Lord. They've been trusting in a lot of other things recently. Draw their eyes to this passage. If there are some who have been stubborn, perhaps, and the way that they've been living, they've set all their 
their confidence in accomplishments, bring their eyes to this passage. There's some among us who have been battered, feel weak, they feel unable to do a single thing. Just turning their eyes to you is all that you've called for. And you will be their shield. You will be their strength. You are their hope. Show us, Lord, that indeed in you we have everything. And we have been thoroughly blessed. Thank you, Lord, for this passage. Write it on our hearts with permanent ink, I pray. that We will not soon forget it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.